0: Welcome to Let's Play Business.
1: Hello, it's Evie, the producer of Let's Play Business. This episode, we had the pleasure of welcoming Jack Tosney onto the podcast. Jack joined us from his slightly echoey workshop, and he also had a few internet connection issues. So the sound quality is a little bit varied at points. However, Jack had such good stories, we didn't want you to miss out on any of the great content. Anyway... I hope you enjoy episode seven of Let's Play Business. Welcome everybody to Let's Play Business, the show that explores how games can make people better at business and business better for people. Welcome to the show. And welcome Zuki to episode seven. Seven episodes. How do you, how do you feel about that? Do you feel famous yet?
0: Oh, I, I mean, I really do. Honestly, but I feel like I'm running out of fingers. Do you feel like that? Yeah, I, I, we're gonna have to move on to like some kind of
1: coordinated dual hand technique here when we do these. Anyway, what have you been up to, and uh, what you've been businessing, in? What you've been playing? I
0: cracked out an absolute classic recently: The Witcher, The Witcher Three: Wild Hunt. Or shall I just say? Gwent Episode 1. It's a great game, but really the only reason I play it is because there's, for anyone who hasn't played it, there's a built-in card game within the game, and it's the best part of the game. So um, if you've got some time to kill, crack out Witcher 3 and play some Gwent. Don't even
1: bother with the storyline. Just find an inn, find a Gwent opponent, and just play. Like, it's, it's a brilliant card game. But yeah, so
0: I've been playing a little bit of that, and um, this is exciting. We started our first conversations at work this week about Christmas. Oh, my days. It's June. It's like really warm outside, started to talk about Christmas, it's, uh, it's good times, that's, that's what I love about business, you know, like what is time? <laughs> Even for Christmas parties, that is early. We're just organised Ben, we're ahead of the curve, got to get in there, make sure that people have what they want for Christmas.
1: And that what they want is a Christmas experience with alternate experiences. <laughs> I can tell you now, I've surveyed your staff, it's what they want.
0: You know you know what Ben, I think it's inevitable, I think it's inevitable, looking forward to it. Anyway, how are you? How, what have you been playing and what have you been businessing?
1: You know what, it's been a very quiet month on the playing front if i'm honest very quiet the only thing i did play was saw on my vr headset that i've now lent to my dad actually but just for a little while i got a, a star wars game no i'm not like a star wars person to be honest but i did think ah oh, on vr like a lightsaber will be really fun and i was correct it was really fun on businessing it's an interesting time at the moment everyone's kind of you know not so much the virtual at the moment everyone's like done with that or certainly a lot less of it but the face to face is still a bit ah oh, but restrictions what we're going to do so it's so it's a little bit like that so they're not quite doing one or the other which is challenging from a business perspective for lack of a better word so that's fun but anyway we're coming up with some innovations some new products etc we're tackling that in the only way we know how which is rapidly releasing products sometimes before they're finished uh, <laughs> any, any clients are listening i promise everything we construct is is fully done We would never sell you anything Before it's fully done <laughs> about that. Right well I think that's enough about us Suzuki I think it is time To welcome on To the show Our seventh can't, I can't I can't get my head over that Seventh guest Which is of course Jack Tosney
0: Jack How you doing?
2: How are we? Are we well?
0: All the better for seeing you Jack
2: you you smoothie i'm doing extremely well i'm fresh out of isolation in these COVID times which is every business owners nightmare at the moment but here i am alive to tell the tale now i get to speak to you guys so all is well all is well
1: have you got any hot tips for anyone going into isolation or recently joined
2: isolation other than of course listening to this podcast try to keep working that's probably the main thing i have done everything over the last few days that i can possibly do without being in the workshop and that extends from drawing to Invoicing, all the, all the boring stuff. However, there has been a lot of sleeping, quite a bit of Netflix and just general lounging around. The, the funny thing was that I thought I'd feel really refreshed and then I came back this morning and I just felt like deaf, but I partly blamed that to the England game last night. That did me no favours. Out of curiosity, uh, have you started planning your Christmas party? <laughs> have I started planning my Christmas party? Um, it's quite difficult when you work on your own. Christmas parties tend to be quite quite quiet. I'm sort of picturing just like me in like a Toby Calvary, maybe like a Santa hat.
1: <laughs> so Jack, for our listeners would you like to tell us exactly what you do? Who are you? What is your business?
2: So I run a company called Jack Tosney Furniture. It's an incredibly creative name. What I predominantly do is I make garden furniture. So this was born out of COVID times. I used to work in theater, film, TV, and I used to build scenery. And then COVID hit, suddenly no theater, no film, no TV. So I started making garden furniture after a picnic bench that I did for my mum went viral on the internet. Ever since then, it's been benches, benches, and more benches. And from that, I've created my own space, my own clientele. I'm now mainly working commercially for companies and businesses, supplying them with the furniture they need this summer. Wonderful. And what does the next 12 months look like for you?
1: What are the growth plans for Jack Tosney
2: Furniture? So the growth plans, the main growth plan is staff. So hopefully this time next year will be a team of four plus to a team of one. It'll make the Christmas do a little bit more interesting. Bloody will. I'm excited for my invite. You, you're already invited. Consider this your invite. Toby Carvery. It will be on Christmas Day because I just like to be awkward.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect.
2: <laughs> and the other plan is to get a bigger workshop. though. So I'm currently in a, a small little workshop on the outskirts of Leeds. And the intention is to get a much bigger one with a roller shutter door. That's that's the dream. I'm dreaming of roller shutter doors. That would be lush. Imagine that opening up every day. and That's the sound of the roller shutter going up.
0: You know, in like cartoons and stuff, the sound of success and it's like the sound of a cash register or something. I feel like we need to update that for the modern age. And it's instead of a cash register, it's a roller shutter door. Just perfect, perfect. Music to my ears.
1: So, the way this is going to work, we're going to have three rounds, or three levels even. So first level, Game of the Decade. We're going to name a game, tell you what it taught us about business, and make the case for that game to be the game of the decade. Level two, Dingoes the Interview. We'll invite our guest on, which is Jack of course, ask them about their business journey and how games may have helped them on the way. And then finally, level three, Game My Problem. We'll have 60 seconds to come up with a game that will solve one of your business problems.
0: Level 1, Game of the Decade.
1: Right, Game of the Decade time, Zuki and Jack. Game of the Decade, it is my turn to make the case for a game that should be Game of the Decade. And this one is one of my favourite games, definitely. It was actually referenced on the last episode. So my Game of the Decade is... Werewolf otherwise known as Mafia it's a classic game that's used a lot of the time in theatrical circles that's uh, how I first learnt it during I think drama at university and then since then for a good five years I made my family play it at Christmas every year and each year they got a little bit more sick of it but I'm not sick of it and I'm here to make the case for it so Werewolf is a, is a kind of role playing type game so say there's about 12 of you some of you will be assigned roles so normally a couple of you are assigned as werewolves and no one else knows that you're the werewolf then you'll also have a Swedish hitchhiker each night they can like protect someone protect them from the werewolves and then you also have a priest and what they can do is each night they accuse someone of being a werewolf in secret and the game's host will confirm or deny if they are and then finally I think you also have a devil the devil knows who the werewolves are and they're often trying to steer conversation away from accusing the actual werewolves of being a werewolf so the way it works is basically the villagers are trying to discover who the werewolves are, and then obviously the werewolves are trying to kill everyone. But no one really knows for certain who anyone is. So it's a game of, you know, interrogating, talking to people, getting a feel for suspicion. So as I say, it's a role-playing game. I'm a big fan of it. I do enjoy games like this. A lot of skullduggery, a lot of suspicion, and a lot of, you know, nuance to it. For example, if you're the devil, and you know who the werewolves are, and you're constantly, like, saying, oh, no, they're definitely not the werewolves to so try and stop them from being killed. At some point, someone's going to be like, why are you protecting those people You know so much? I'm suspicious of you, you could be the devil or you could be a werewolf. So you've got to play very strategically throughout this game. Anyway, there are a couple of lessons in the business context that I would draw from this game. So the first one, and this is a lesson I think that has come out in a few games actually, so clearly a key lesson from a number of games, is that sometimes you've got to stop reaching for information that just doesn't exist. Ultimately, All you ever have in this game is people's word. You know, sometimes you'll see people, they won't want to accuse anyone because they'll just think, oh, I don't know. But that's the point. You will never know. And so you just have to use your judgment. And it's like in business, sometimes you can't reach for information that's just not there. I think even when we spoke about this lesson before, you normally have something. But in this game, you have nothing verifiable, nothing at all. So all you're working on is your gut instincts. And sometimes that is what you've got to trust. I'm not saying for go data, for go information, but you will find yourself in a position at some point in business where you really don't have anything but your gut. And you either trust it or you don't make a decision, and normally, as I mentioned in previous episodes, if you don't make a decision, that normally works out much worse for you. Does that relate at all, Zuki?
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about the analysis paralysis problem before. For anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, go back and listen to episode one for a bit more info on that. People don't like to trust their gut and what I like about this game as well is that it forces you to kind of just like go off your gut instinct, make some risks, and better to make a decision and get it wrong than to not make any at all.
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's lesson number one. But actually then, lesson number two, obviously within the game, one thing it teaches you is that this might be a bad lesson to give. I will nuance this, but you can't trust what anyone says in the game, really. You have to, as we say, make a judgment on what you're going to choose to trust. But nothing is verifiable. And I find this quite interesting in a business context. You know, other businesses or other competitors or things like that, they might put things out on social media, particularly platforms like LinkedIn, painting this really rosy picture that you actually can't really verify. And it's actually really dangerous to look at that and like obsess over it and think everyone else is doing this in business or they're doing that or I need to follow that trend. You do need to look at the market definitely but you have to be really careful what you take at their face value that you see out there. I am aiming for a little bit of those classic LinkedIn posts now and again that you see where you know everyone's talking about how great business is. You know I'm going to be blunt, small business owner. Things aren't always great, they're just not. It goes up and down. I know that from experience and I haven't even been around that long. You know, it's been a couple of years. It's just the truth of it. So I think you have to be really careful what you read into the situation. And I think the werewolf is a good teacher of that lesson.
0: For sure. Those social media LinkedIn influencers. Go on there and spout some good stuff about how amazing they're their company is, and then a few months later, there's, I don't know, an open letter that's signed from all their former employees, telling the world how terrible it is to work there. Um, I can think of a couple of companies (laughs) for whom that's happened.
1: I hear they're a bit trigger happy on suing, so I'm no commenting
0: the hell out of (laughs) it. That's a fair lesson. The only thing I'd challenge there, Ben, is that in the context of, you know, the work environment, sometimes you gotta listen to what people have to say. You know, it's someone who you line manage it says, look, we can't do this, or look, I'm too busy, or look, this is something that isn't gonna work. Is Werewolf teaching us the right lessons there?
1: No, I think that's a fair point, and I think you have to recognize the context that's relatable well like you say you don't want to take that into your own workplace where you're just suspicious of everything your colleagues say that's not a healthy work environment but i would say that when you're in more public environments networking events linkedin things like that in a business context there's always an element of showmanship there and you know i do it myself being honest sometimes at least to some extent it's important to recognize that sometimes and not obsess over it too much not read too much into it You know, yes, there's lessons to draw from what other people are doing, but also let's not derail our own business obsessing
2: over what they're doing. I think that's totally fair enough. So
1: Jack, two big lessons for there. What do you think?
2: I mean, I've I've never actually played this game. It's like a complex version of Wink Murder. Do you remember Wink Murder? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it is.
2: I think the point that you made was quite interesting. I'm a big fan of trusting your gut, but also as well, I think you're right in what you're saying is you can waste a lot of time thinking about what other people think or what other people feel and how other people do things. I am a big believer in thinking for yourself. I think that's what makes a business up successful your own thoughts and what you're doing opposed to what other people are doing excellent thoughts
1: thank you very much well what do we reckon game of the decade good contender what do you think zuki Uh,
0: it's an all right contender ben the only challenge i'm going to place on it is that you know we've got some nuances here you've got to think about trust in the right context i think it's up there i think it's a good contender is it the game of the decade i'm not quite sure level two ding goes the interview
1: right it is time for the ding goes the interview section obviously the best section where we get to grill jack about what games has taught him about business jack are you ready i'm ready let's start off with the big question of course which is what is your favorite ever game and why
2: my favorite ever game and i don't know if anyone's played it and i'm going to go for Hungry Hippos. Anyone played Hungry
1: Hippos? Yes, I have played Hungry Hippos. i very much aware of what you're talking about. Intriguing choice. So
2: Hungry Hippos is where basically you've got four players and you each man a hippo. And what you do is you throw a lot of white balls into the middle and you have to basically capture as many of the white balls you can by pressing sort of the lever slash button and you have to try grab as many balls as you can and whoever got the most balls at the end wins and that's hungry hippos i should just clarify jack in this interview we
1: give you dings every time you say something insightful i'm not saying you've set yourself up for failure here but i'm very much looking forward to the insight from a business perspective that you pull from Hungry Hippos? I've
2: thought long and hard about this. Ooh. All all you've got to know is I studied studied English literature, so I I can read a lot into things. So uh, I'm gonna English literature all over this. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Jack, break it down. Tell us more about Hungry Hippos.
2: So, I've split this into two parts. One is positive lessons you can learn from Hungry Hippos, and one is negative lessons you can learn from Hungry Hippos. The main reason I think Hungry Hippos is a positive game for business, is it's about acting on impulse. And I'm a big fan of impulse, because in my experience, nine times out of 10, the best decisions come from impulse because it's a natural reaction and I trust my own natural reaction more than I trust anything else. And that's why hungry hippos is so relevant because it is a game of impulse. For example, you don't wait for the balls to roll to you before you try to grab them because your competitors, I'm calling the other hippos my competitors, they, they are already grabbing those opportunities. The balls represent opportunities. You don't have time to dilly dally, you've got to crack straight on. Now the negatives. I mean, there's a negative side of acting on impulse, working strategically, trying to figure it out, seeing how the balls lie before you try and grab them. It's definitely a way of working. And this is so English literature, but you know, maybe the hippos are like biting the hand that feeds you sort of thing. Is it the right decision? Are you missing out on other opportunities while she's trying to frantically work on impulse? I mean, it's definitely a way to work. Whether it works for other people, who knows? It works for me. An example of that being getting this unit. You know, this unit went on the market on a Monday. I went and viewed it on a Tuesday. I paid for it on the Tuesday. I had the keys by Thursday and it was the best decision I ever made. That is seriously impulsive.
0: I like it, I like it. So, Jack, I'm curious, what's your success rate like at Hungry Hippos? Do you find that your impulsive strategy, do you find it works? I
2: find it works nine times out of 10, yeah. If you wait for the opportunities to roll to you, you're not gonna get as many opportunities. Therefore, if you go grabbing for the opportunities, you're more likely to get more. A bit more English literature
0: for you. You've really got to like stick your neck out, as it were, and kind of like take those opportunities, you know, grab them by the horns or something. Do hippos have horns? They don't have horns, but.
2: <laughs> no, they don't. They have they've like quite large nostrils. I think the English literature analogy is starting to fall down a little bit. And uh, listen, I got an E in English literature, so maybe I'm not the best person to do this, but here we are.
1: I find myself resonating strongly with what you're saying, Jack. And you know what? You have pulled it back. That is some good insight. And Whilst I do appreciate, you know, there'll be people listening thinking, oh God, like, you know, you don't plan any of it, you get yourself into travel, etc. And I do appreciate that, but I must admit, I often, when I see an opportunity... I feel like I wanted to jump on it yesterday and I hate anything slowing me down to jump on it. I do actually agree that, not all the time, but a lot of the time that gut reaction to something is worth following. I think it's a recipe for growth, it's not always a recipe for stability in business. So I've found that this strategy has often helped me to grow the business and trust that gut and be impulsive and react quickly but it is inherently destabilizing and when you need a period of stability particularly for your team that can be quite disruptive so you sometimes have
2: to pick your moments on when you do that mm. it works for me on my own would it work if there was 10 of me 20 of me if lives and jobs and people's families relied on it you know maybe i'll take a slightly different approach but as me growing my business as a solo person i find it works it works well so question number
1: two jack can you name a challenging moment in your career and tell us any skills that you think games has helped you develop, that helped you overcome that moment.
2: I've worked in questionable places in my short career, um, and some of those places haven't been very nice. Some of those places, horrible places to work, basically. I'm going to link it back to another game, if I may. You may. In fact, we quite actively encourage it. I I am going to link this back to a game, a bit of a board game. If you haven't noticed, I'm quite a board game fan. I've never really owned a a console, so I wouldn't even know about video games or anything like that. But I'm going to link it back to Operation. You know the board game? Yeah, definitely. I think certain skills you can learn from that game, for instance. It's about holding your nerve in these kind of places. When you're in an environment that's potentially not very nice, this has been a massive challenge in my career. It's something that, you know, you could also say restricted my progression for quite some time. As a young man, and I was a very young man working in these kind of places, it could shatter confidence, really. Operation, I see, is a game of holding your nerve. And I think when you're in a toxic environment, which I've been in, I think knowing when to cut ties and when to go is one of the most important lessons I've learned. People said to me at the time, why don't you just go? Why don't you just leave? But a lot of the time it was to what? You know, I'm I'm 18 years old. This is the only place I've ever worked. I need to get something else lined up. I'm a big fan of right place, right time. Um, An operation is is a great example of that. The right angle, the right movement. And there's consequences if if you get it wrong. You know, and in business, there are a lot of consequences. Um, I will now take questions.
0: I'm going to get an interesting insight into your psyche here, Jack, because what I'm reading is that you like to hold your nerve and like wait for the right time to make a decision. But as soon as it's the right time to make that decision, you make that decision and you act on that impulse and you just you just go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I honestly think the most important thing in business is to know yourself better than you know anything. Anything to do with what you're selling. People would argue you need to know your market, you need to know, you know your tactics and all this, which of course is all incredibly important. But it's knowing yourself, that's a secret. That's, in my opinion, where business will fail. If you can't know for yourself the steps to take or when to take them, you know, I think that's probably the downfall. I think that's the downfall for a lot of people. I do strongly relate to your point
1: around knowing yourself and business. And I think it's an interesting one because I see, you know, particularly in the business space where there's so much coaching and mentoring available, that is all valuable. But also, if you try and run your business, in a way that maybe you've been told to or been taught to but goes against, you know, your instincts or what you feel comfortable with, it's just not going to work like your heart will not be in it. You need to recognize what your strengths and weaknesses are, what you're comfortable with, what you're not to be able to say this is how I'm going to run this business. Absolutely. Thank you for opening up, Jack, and telling us a bit about, you know, your tough moments in your career and, and what games taught you about it. Question number 3, if you were a hero in a game, What kind of hero would you be, you know? What kind of hero
2: character in that game? The best way I've described this, and it's questionable, I kind of see like a cross between Thor, you know, like the God of Thunder and Jeremy Corbyn. Does that make sense? No. (laughs) An old wise God. I'm not going to use the word God, because uh, again, it's the arrogance thing. Um, So I'm going to use a different word. I can't think of one, but but not God. That's the important Uh, thing to say. A deity, a deity. (laughs) Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, char- it's characteristics of them two that I would use to create my business tier character. I will now take questions.
1: <laughs> Jack, I don't know whether to give you 20 dings or no dings for that. I, I don't really know where to go with that. It- it's certainly one of the more unique responses
0: we've had to that question. I think I just need to understand what qualities you take from each. And are they the same qualities?
2: I wanted to go down like the Jeremy Corbyn route, but I thought that's pretty pathetic. So I thought if I put Jeremy Corbyn on like Thor's body, that's, that's a much more impressive hero.
0: Buff, Jazza, I see how it is.
2: But still quite old and wise, that's the key here. If I may, I've got some adjectives that I'd use to describe this hero. The adjectives would be fair, equal, diverse, and resourceful, quick, Bots an opportunity and clever? And they're the abilities my superhero would have. Those are good qualities. Those are very good qualities. Do you think you have those qualities already? Or do you think those are qualities you aspire to have? I think it's an aspiring thing, isn't it? Resourceful, quick. bots an opportunity? Impulsive. These are things I am. These are things that I also want to improve and to become. And I thought a little bit about a costume for him as well, if I may share. Absolutely. Please do. So I'm thinking spandex, right? Jeremy Corbyn, or. Spandex and the, the most important part of it is his work belt. So, you know, like some superheroes have got like a belt You know, like, like Batman. He's got a belt. But I've got a belt full of tools But they're like retractable. you like this one carpenter. Four's hammer. Like imagine that just doing a bit of nailing like falls hammer bang bang nails you're like without a tool and then it just like And then it like whips back into my tool belt in my spandex suit and it had to go with colors I'd probably go white and black, which is my logo colours.
1: <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of a name. I mean, you thought of pretty much everything else, so it is a little surprising.
2: Yeah, I know. Dr. Hubris is Evie's suggestion. Dr. Hubris? If anyone's unsure what hubris means, it means an overbearing self-arrogance, at least, or personal downfall. <laughs> I think that is definitely the most detail we've got. It's
1: simultaneously the most confusing and clear answer that we've had on this question, I think. So, yeah, hats off to you on that one. Final question Jack, have you seen any good examples of games and or game principles being used in the
2: real world? I'd like to draw this back to Ben, you'll probably understand this. Drama games. I know drama games they take into a lot of offices and they have like office ice breaking challenges and all this sort of stuff. This is where I wanted to bring in confidence. I think games, and especially games in business, it all boils down to confidence. It's about feeling comfortable in your environment and the people you're with. The main drama game that I thought of, which is used in offices, workplaces, businesses around, is Zip Zap Boing. Does anyone remember Zip Zap Boing?
1: I recognize the name. I recognize the name.
2: So Zip Zap Boing, it's basically, you stand in a circle, however many of you attend, and you zip someone, you've got a zipper, and you zip someone. What are the rules of this fucking game? Essentially, if you get zipped, you have to sit down and, or you can duck a zip and the two people, either side of the person who's ducked, they can zip each other. And basically it's the last person standing. And you, have to, you have to zip someone before you get zapped. It is a layered game, but. And then everyone gets knocked out. And then
0: by the end of it, we're all like, oh, we know each other so well.
2: <laughs> I think Zip Zap Boing is a good example to use because it's not necessarily packed full of lessons or anything like that. It's a game about being comfortable with the people you're with that confidence. Confidence is another key, in my opinion, to, to success in business. It's about confidence in yourself. It's about projecting confidence. It's about the people around you having confidence in you as well. And suddenly you can affirm yourself as a beacon, sort of, for maybe people who are not as confident. zap Boing is a great game for that because it's silly and people like silly and if everyone's silly together, people don't feel silly anymore. I did an interview at Sainsbury's. I think I just turned 16 and oh god it's so bad oh it makes me want to roll up and die just thinking about it. Part of their icebreaking challenge stuff, so part of the interview is we had to write a rap about fruit so bear in mind you're in this environment, this interview environment, people are watching you and you have to write a rap about fruit but that sort of thing doesn't work whereas a, ga- a good game like Zip Zap Boy, you know it's light hearted it's fun, it's interesting and it builds confidence. I'll, I'll now take questions if anybody's got any.
1: Not a question but just a follow-on point. The reasons that I'm passionate about games is because when you use games and game structures they give permission for people to behave in a way that you never would otherwise so I think that Boing is, is a good example of that you know it gives you permission to basically be silly in that instance
2: yeah what you said there is bang on he's having that permission and seeing other people do it as well gives you then that confidence you've got that safe space that's where you can flourish
1: Well, Jack, thank you very much for your answers. I think it's time to tally up your dings. I'm actually (laughs) very, very excited about this. Right, I've got my dings, Zuki. Have you got your dings?
0: I've got my dings.
1: So I'm sitting on eight dings. What are you on, Zuki?
0: Oof. I've been a bit more harsh. I'm sitting on six dings. Fuck you, Zuki.
1: (laughs) So, your total score is 14 dings, which is a solid and decent score. For for starters, you beat Zuki, as has most people, but still, you beat Zuki.
0: The highest score I think we've had is 19, so you're not far off. 19?
2: Who was that? Alan Sugar?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was Alan Sugar. We've had Alan Sugar on the show, people. (laughs) 14
1: dings, honestly, mate, it's nothing to be ashamed of. That is a solid solid score and one day in the future i'm not even going to say near future you will actually see where that is on the leaderboard
2: i'll look forward to it
0: level three game my problem
1: right listener it's time for the final level it is of course game my problem this time we've had an email in from a listener i'm just going to read this out to you jack and zuki so listen carefully dear ben and zuki Hope you guys are well we love the show although we have to say zuki's game names are a lot better than yours ben rude so we run a small local cafe and bakery in sussex it's been a tough year as it's been for a lot of businesses but we've used the time to start thinking about how we can do things better we've decided we want to make a name for ourselves by having a fresh ever-changing menu full of customer favorites as well as some slightly wacky new ideas. We were hoping you could help us come up with a game we can use to get our customers and employees to contribute their best baking ideas to our menu that we can repeat
0: on a monthly basis. Thanks boys and good luck Millie and Tilly. So what we've got here is we've got Millie and Silly. They're running a little cafe bakery and they want to like jazz up their menu with some fresh ideas. uh, And they want to do this regularly, you know, maybe on a monthly basis. And they're looking for uh, some games that they can play with their staff and with their customers to try and generate those ideas. I think we could do this, guys. I think we can make this happen.
1: We all clear on that, Jack? You clear on it?
0: Oh yeah.
1: How long do I have? Four days? Close, 60 seconds. 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. Time up, Zuki and Jack. Stop writing notes. Stop what you're doing. You know what? I'll go first this time. I made you go first last time, Zuki. My game's going to be called Be The Baker. That's my game name. Be The Baker. I think that's one of my better names, personally.
0: Would you agree with that, Zuki? No, I would say it's on par in terribleness with all of your other terrible names. And I'm sure Millie and Tilly would agree. (laughs) Great. Well, good start. Good start.
1: Right. The way this game's going to work there's going to be some chalkboards I'm going with chalkboards, a bit more rustic there's going to be some chalkboards ideally outside the shop accessible to the public they're going to write like names of like a dish or, or something to bake but they're not going to fill in below the ingredients, okay they're just going to put a name down so let's go with like croissant surprise or something like that, they'll write at the top and the members of the public just add things in as they walk past to form part of the recipe they're like yeah put a bit of this in just write that down and then that someone else walk past. oh yeah put a bit of this in whatever like and the recipe just forms through people's random contributions as they walk past and then after like a certain amount of time then so at the end of the month and then they put it up probably on like social media or something like right here's the recipes you've created now vote on your favourite recipe. Vote on what dish you want us to bring out. And then the public vote, a lot of them have contributed as well, so they might be particularly keen to vote to see what's come out. And then that dish is the one that's made. You might think, yeah, but that could come up with some terrible recipes. Well, then those ones won't get voted on. Or if they do, well, there you go. That's the public for you, I'm afraid. See what they think about it.
0: I like that. I like that. We're not going to see any voting with both places come out of that. No. So my game actually isn't a world away from yours. So I like that in part because I like my own game. (laughs) My game is called um, You Shake, We Bake. Uh, and, And the way it works is, (laughs) <laughs> so similar principle. So you've got, like, again, a, a chalkboard or a big board. And you've got, like, recipe one, recipe two, recipe three. And then what happens is, you know, on the national lottery or whatever, you've got one of those ball machines where you've got, like, loads of, like, balls in it or whatever. You've got one of those. So someone comes along and, like, spins it or, like, shakes it up or whatever. And then, like, a ball falls out. And the ball has written on it an ingredient. And the customer comes along and they look at the board and they're like, OK, hmm, this ingredient, I don't know, let's go with caramel. Caramel would go great with... It's not going to go great with the one that has spinach on it. So we're going to go with and put it in the one that has chocolate, the chocolate bun thing that's forming over there. So basically people will take out whatever ingredient comes out of the machine and they'll put it on whatever um, recipe they think will make the best dish. Uh, and then at the end, you've got like a selection of dishes. That could be a menu for the next month. Similar but different. You have just ripped mine, 100%. You've ripped it. I'm calling foul play. All I'm saying is you don't come up with a name like You Shake, We Bake uh, unless it's a game where there is shaking and there is baking. So there is both of those things.
1: Okay, well, thank you for your contribution, Zuki. Finally, Jack, it is your turn,
2: last but not least. So, it's nothing like your game. The only similarity is the eventual product is voted by the customer, and my game is called Bake Against Humanity. Some might say it's quite similar to uh, another game, but uh, I shun those reports. The concept of the game is it comes in a few rounds, but the first round is recipe-based. So you're in a group, this is staff, see, and you've got a dish on a card that you place in the middle. It may be, like, say, a cake, a bread, a donut, whatever, and the rest of the team have to come up with a word, an adjective of some description to put before that word. So, say the words on the floor is donut, the rest of the staff have to come up with a word to go before or after or to incorporate donut. So, for instance, wacky donut or whatever. I don't know. It's up to them to be creative. I, I just write the game. All the members of staff present their suggestions and then it is voted on, on the best suggestion and then that is presented to the public to vote on. And that is my game. Do you need me to recap? Did you get that? That made total sense Jack. I like the variety. It's nothing similar to any other
1: games out there so I shun those reports. I like the originality and, and I don't mean that ironically because of the similar game names maybe something else. I just like it's different to my one so I'm happy. Well Millian Tilly I, I'm not gonna lie I would actually say compared to previous episodes that's definitely one of our more solid set of games that we've come up with. A bit more actionable those ones I think. Definitely so I am expected to take a trip to Sussex, Millie and Tilly, to see your bakery and to see one of these games in action. I think you know what one has got to be. Well Jack, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Have you had a good time? I've
2: absolutely enjoyed it the man. I'm a little upset about the dings, but that's fine. You know, I can't win everything. Even as a godlike, for Jeremy Corbyn character, you can't win them all.
1: So thank you listener very much for listening to episode 7 of Let's Play Business. If you've got a business problem you'd like our help with, then please email in your dilemma to let's play at gmail.com. That's let's play business podcast at gmail.com. Now, of course, we'd love a recommendation as well. So if you've got a friend that maybe loves the werewolf game or Hungry Hippos, either or, do make sure you, you know, make them aware of this podcast. All our social media handles will be in the show notes below as well as links to my company, Alternate Experiences, in case you want to take a peek at what we offer. But for now, I've been your host, Ben Fowler.
0: And I've been your host, Zuki.
1: Thank you again for listening.
0: We'll see
1: you in the next episode.
0: That's game over, folks. Insert one more coin or get the hell out. That's good, right?